fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and featuring Seahawks sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers. Fans. It's the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Welcome in. I'm your host, Bill Alstead. I am here, as always, with Keith Myers. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, good morning. How are you today? I'm really good. I can barely breathe, but I'm good. My eyes are watering. I, You know, all this smoke in the air, it's crazy. Yeah, we've got this weird um, uh, smoke from the fires up in, in Canada, and it's filtered its way down to us and it's pretty bad but i can only well, imagine what it's like on the on the training camp practice field for those players oh yeah being out in it the whole time and just uh that's gonna be bad i was actually uh there was a bunch of uh fires like i don't know 10 miles away um down in southern oregon when i lived down there and so we could actually look up at the hill and see the smoke and the you know the fire coming over the hill and it was a little scary but Man, it was bad. You had to like people wore masks yeah. and everything because the smoke was the smoke was so bad. It was it was like a really thick fog. It was hard to see traffic lights, so to know whether it was green or red. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. So I can't imagine um, actually playing football out in in something like that. It's got to be got to be rough. So this week is our uh, training uh, camp report. We're going to call it Volume 1 because we're going to have another one as well. And then we'll probably just kind of roll into games, uh, preseason games, and then the regular season. Our first uh, preseason games is uh, versus San Diego uh, down in uh, Pete Carroll's old stomping grounds, Carson, California, at USC campus. Or actually not at the campus, but at the old uh, Olympic Stadium there. Mm-hmm. I believe. And that's uh, Sunday, August 13th at 5 p.m. So watch for that. Next week's podcast, we'll kind of uh, preview that game a little bit as well. Uh, this week, we are talking about training camp, and we do have some news at the top. Of course, everyone's heard about uh, most of the things that we're going to talk about, but we'd like to, to have our, our word with it as well. Uh, the, the big story uh, out of camp this week was not actually uh, what happened at camp, but what happened prior to camp and why a certain player wasn't there. Malik McDowell was injured in a, what they're calling a vehicular accident. It's been reported that it's been an ATV accident uh, with a concussion and facial lacerations and so forth. Nobody knows at this point exactly the, uh, the extent of those injuries. And there's a lot of speculation rolling around there. So I'm not going to speculate on exactly how serious his injuries are. You can only, estimate though that they they're somewhat severe in the fact that nobody's really talking about how long uh, mcdowell is going to miss um playing football yeah it was interesting that it's not just that he was hurt um but that he wasn't even in town he was still in michigan uh under the supervision of his doctor and that to me is a is an interesting sign which <clears throat> which points to concussion and um, symptoms because they want you know to track that and everything and getting and on a when, plane and so forth yep um even once he got into town like the team didn't the team doctors didn't really know the extent of everything like they needed to go check him out and see where they were the, uh, Pete Carroll couldn't even give us an update on on when he would be out on the field and everything because the doctors hadn't seen him so it's it's kind of interesting that way we'll see 
how well even keith at this point the doctors have seen him and they still can't come up with a um with a face-to-face explanation to us as to the extent of the injuries what they are how long it's going to impact his ability to to not play football now i don't want to make football the the number one thing here we want him to be well as just a human being and a person i think uh even Michael Bennett said that, you know, we want him to be able to, to function and have a good quality life and so forth. When you're hearing statements like that out of Michael Bennett, you know how serious this thing is. Um, yeah, but at the same time, you get a statement from McDowell himself true. that said, everyone's blowing this out of proportion. It's not yeah. that big of a deal. I'll be there in Seattle. I'll be I'll be ready to play. Clayton All said on that. the ESPN so, radio that he believed McDowell is likely to play this season. So... You know, there's just a lot of stuff going on, and we just have to wait, I think, for the team to come out with a, a legitimate statement on the issue. Anything else is just pure speculation. At some point, we have to actually learn what the injury is, because if it's just a concussion, just, okay, I shouldn't say that. Concussions are very serious. If it is a concussion and nothing else, he will be playing at some point this season. Um, if it what's one of the unconfirmed reports, which, of course, just means it's a rumor, um, was that there's an orbital bone fracture, which is around the eye. Okay, well, that can be something that takes longer. W- you know, one of the things that came up was facial facial lacerations. So that's, you know, like cuts and scrapes and that kind of stuff. But again, that's not going to prevent him from playing the season. So what what is the actual injury? Somebody explain what's really going on so we can uh, we can actually get a timetable for what's what's happening here you know and all things considered you don't want him to be gone you don't want him to miss time this is very important time for new players especially to come on to the uh, the team and and get all those reps however with that said um having this injury happen at this point gives the seahawks at least enough flexibility they can kind of plan on it now for the season if he were to miss time especially if he was to start the season on the uh, unable to perform list and, and miss the first six weeks of um, the season, which now kind of seems likely. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a complete speculation on my part, but the signs are kind of pointing that way. And and so um, that leaves us with the players that we have, or if they elect to, to bring somebody else in, that's that's fine and dandy. But, you know, until that ha- until we know, uh, there's really, it's, it's very difficult to speculate at this point. So yep. um, other news. Uh, we traded. There's been a lot of roster, a lot of roster yeah. movement for the well, first week of camp. Like, that's right. Common. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we had a lot of signings this week. Uh, we had a trade, and we had some cuts. So the the first one I was going to talk about was the trade Kevin Pierre Lewis to Kansas City for DJ Alexander, which is a linebacker to linebacker swap of players. The nice thing about DJ Alexander is he was a Pro Bowl special teams guy. So that for me, that was a kind of a win on the Seahawks on Kansas City's side. They're thinking they got a win because they get a plus side athlete that they can kind of plug around and, and uh, kind of a toy that they can use. So who won that trade, Keith? Um, I think it's a, it's a push because you've got two guys that that were going to struggle to make the roster on on the team that they were on. You also got two guys that do well on special teams. I mean, Kevin Pierre Lewis is a guy that. Um, is a special teams performer. I would, I would um, personally, I would say the Seahawks probably won slightly because they got a player who can stay healthy, and they gave up a player who doesn't stay healthy. 
Well, and um, you said it earlier, Keith. I think that Kevin Pierre-Lewis was not going to make this team this year. Yeah, it really didn't look like it when you start looking at all of the uh, outside linebackers that they had. Um, you know, KPL is a guy who only plays the weak side linebacker spot, which is KJ Wright. They've tried him at the strong side, and he just doesn't have the size um, to hold up there. Whereas, you know, the other guys that they've got on the roster can play both. They can they can swing back and forth if needed. And so, he, you know, Lewis was a guy that was going to be a... Um, he, his role was to be KJ's backup and a special teams guy. And he really didn't have another role outside of that. Um, they get a guy in Alexander who's a middle linebacker, an inside linebacker, so he can uh, fit into that rotation a little bit, and so they can give him, uh, you know, especially if Will Holt, uh, you know, moves outside to the Sam linebacker spot, now it gives them another true uh, backup to to Bobby Wagner. Um, so it, it just it changes the. Um, it changes the dynamic of all these competitions a little bit because they got a bigger guy that can play more than one position. He can play the strong side or the middle. He can also do special teams just like uh, uh, KPL could. And he stays healthy, unlike Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who has struggled to do so throughout his career. Well, you mentioned Will Hoyt. He's got a couple other guys that came in on the team this week that uh, he didn't have last week. Mike Morgan yep. was re-signed, which mm-hmm. I thought was an interesting... Now, that's a that's kind of a steady guy not flashy yeah. at all. He's been Nothing with the team a while, so you don't have to teach him a thing. He comes right in and he's able to uh to step in and perform right away. Another guy that is uh really intriguing for me that is completely flopped where he was was Marcus Smith. Do you want to talk about Marcus Smith a little bit? Well, I mean, so he's coming in um and to me that was a bit of a surprise signing because I thought they had um, the linebacker situation kind of You'd would uh, think. Nailed, nailed down <laughs> because they signed all those veterans and stuff coming in. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're going to add Marcus Smith. And oh, we're going to add Mike Morgan. And oh, we're going to trade for Alexander. And it's like, okay, so clearly they didn't like what they had um, once they got everyone in camp and started looking at him. Um, Smith is a guy who is going to be given the chance to win the strong side linebacker job. It's going to be him, uh, Will Hoyt, and Mike Morgan. Everyone else is kind of, yep, you had your chance. Now it's going to it's going to come down to these three guys, and we'll see where it goes. I kind of see Will Hoyt maybe moving back into the middle because that's his natural position is on the inside. We have a lot and of we, options. We do, and that's that's kind of the um, kind of what the team wants at this point. They want yeah. to have some flexibility, some options. They they really don't have a lot of youth there, so they went with some veterans. And, you know, trying to get through this season and then we'll see, you know, about next season because there's a lot of one year, um, one year deals here outside of the top two guys of Wagner and, and Wright. They they're just trying to f- they're trying to find the right mix of guys that can back those two up, play the the strong side linebacker, which is only about 30 percent of the snaps and and contribute on special teams. And they just didn't feel they had that. Oh, this one of the surprising cuts was Arthur Brown, yeah. who is super athletic, um, you know, a lot of potential, but it just never worked out at all. Um, and so the team brought him in, thinking he, they could, could turn him into uh, what they want and just get the potential out of him. And he lasted three days of camp, 
and then which is what for... actually surprising yet not surprising for me i i thought that he would be a very much a long shot to make it out of camp but uh it's it's not terribly surprising to see him go another face that i was happy that we let go and i'm not usually happy when the seahawks are let go but nolan freeze was let go and he was my the bane of my existence throughout the regular season last year. He was the long snapper that couldn't long snap. And mm-hmm. so uh, he's gone in favor of Ott. And they want Tyler Ott in there because uh, I heard Pete Carroll say that they want him to get as many reps with um, with Blair Walsh kicking as possible as as the long snapper there. Um, mm-hmm. And they and they like Blair Walsh. I heard tell that. Uh, Blair's doing well. He's hitting most of his uh, kicks, and they like his long kicks uh, a lot in camp. And so word is that he's he's doing well too. But I don't want to jump ahead too far. We can talk about individual players in in a little bit. Um, and we've but we've got a couple other news items that I wanted to get to before we start talking camp specific stuff. Um, so those were our signings and cuts so far that that we've noted. Well, they added. They signed one more person that I figured you would be super excited about. They added Marcel Reese at fullback. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one guy I had on my list I didn't <laughs> mention. That's right, Marcel Reese. You know, the, here's another guy that's like Mike Morgan, only a, a better version of Mike Morgan at his position because Marcel Reese. What Marcel Reese gives you is a steady guy who's very smart. He's been to the Pro Bowl like four times. Um, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. They like they can give him the rock at any time, and he's not going to fumble. Um, he's just kind of that dependable piece that I really like at the fullback position, where he can actually block. He can pick up blitzes. He understands schemes really well. I think he's a good piece to have there next to Russell Wilson. It's just insurance. Yeah, I I like this because I mean he was a Pro Bowler when he was with Oakland. Um, and so this is obviously a guy who can play. He he isn't the prototypical Seattle um, fullback where he's not he's that good. big. Yeah, where he's huge and he just plows people over in the hole, and that's all he does. Um, no one's going to confuse him with Will Tukuafu, right? Uh, so, but he does the little things. He is a he's a receiver. He can run routes. He can uh, pick up the blitz. So he does those things well. He can handle the football in short yardage situations and not fumble the way uh, Tukuafu used to uh, do. But he and he also is smart. He can read the um, you know the holes as far as the zone blocking stuff goes and really be a, another set of eyes for the running back, which is good. You know he's not gonna, but he's not gonna clear out two linebackers in the hole the same way like you know, the bigger guys like Tukuafu would. So he's not that typical Seahawk when it comes to uh, that stuff, but he's such a good player and he's such a steady player. Well, this is an encouraging sign. This is an encouraging sign for me as far as the team is concerned, as far as Schneider is concerned, because what this signing tells me is they're not messing around this year. Last year, they waited all the way until, you know, September to sign a guy at at fullback. They went with a couple of camp guys. They weren't really seriously looking at the position as as a position that they were even going to have on the team. You know, they were looking at maybe having four tight ends instead and, you know, using an H-back and all this kind of stuff. And they just went away from their true bread and butter, which is, you know, a fullback formation 
I formation where they've got a fullback charging ahead, you know, hitting the hole on, you know, the first guy he sees and having the running back having that just that extra split second of time to make a cut is, is key, especially with our offensive line. Yeah. Um, so the thing is that that yeah, having that fullback going in in either in the eye or the offset eye was something that they did early on. But as as the team the team has kind of evolved away from that, and they've gone to a much more of you know putting Wilson in the shotgun yeah, and yeah. having no, a runner no, right. having the runner runner running back beside him slightly behind him but beside right. him and doing more of the inside zone stuff that way. And so I think they really were trying to go away from the fullback and go more towards that. Um, you know, that uh, zone read look, even if it weren't running the zone, you know, yeah. the zone read uh, like playbook, but they were, they still want that look to, to confuse the, um, and I think they'll still the do that. Keith. I think this is just strictly an option to be able to have. Yeah. I it's it, but it was, it, it was interesting that they, they, they dropped the fullback position in part because they weren't using it. But at the same time, it was like, but you do need it. The Seahawks were just struggled a lot in the red zone last year. And part of that was, so many passes to Jermaine Curse, but a lot of other part of it was that they just didn't have a fullback, and that's when you need it is in those short yardage situations when it's, you know, you're on the two yard line and you need to pound it in, yeah. or if it's third and one, and the team struggled in those situations because they didn't have that option. So it's good to see them bring in a guy like Marcel Reese, who is a proven player. He's not just a he's not just a camp body or a converted um, tight end. They're actually bringing in someone who knows the position and, and has a proven track record of doing it. Yeah. You know, and in teams <clears throat> that typically have power run games or power line designs, um, don't use a fullback as much, but we don't. So we need one. So, yeah, it's, it's one of the, it, it is a, it, it depends on who's going to be your lead blocker, right? In a power system, you're going to pull a tackle on the inside or you're going to pull a guard to the outside and you're going to have a lead blocker that's a lineman. But in a zone scheme, you're not doing that. You're not pulling anybody. And so it's more of, okay, are you going to give your running back a lead blocker or not? And if you are, you need a fullback. And the Seahawks haven't had one the last couple of years. So I've got three more items uh, to talk about. Two are really good, and one is kind of screwy. Um, I'll talk about the good ones first. Cam Chancellor signed his extension. That's I mean, huge. we talked about this last week, or I think the week before, Keith, where we weren't quite sure which direction the team was going to go with Chancellor. If they were going to go through the season and not have an extension and, and take a look at Cam in the offseason and go, okay, here's a guy that's going to be 31 years old. Um, he's He's gone through some injuries and so forth. But I think we discounted, when we were talking, I think we discounted the, the idea that he is just the leader of that defense. And he how is. important he's the, that he's is. the captain. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that it did is if you look at it, it he got paid well. You know, uh, it's a three-year extension, $34 million, 25 of it guaranteed. And you're like, wow, that's a lot. But the part of that is that it's an extension. He still had a year left. So it's a four-year, $44 million deal if you look at, um, if you include yeah. 2017. And of that money that's guaranteed, it's all in the first two years. So if Cam Chancellor continues to have these injury problems that have plagued him the last two years, and the team decides, you know what, they want out of that deal because they don't want to pay someone on, who's on injured reserve all the time, um, they can do so after the 2018 season. 
It's structured in a way that gives Cam the money he has earned because yeah. he's been very, very, very good. But it also gives the team some flexibility to get out of the deal. Um, and gain some after. cap space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and so they can they can do that if, if, if they need to. Now, they don't want to, but if they need to because of just the logistics of everything, they can. So I think that is a... It was a really good deal for both parties. I think it only leaves them with a little bit of dead money on uh, 2019 and 2020, like $2 million, something like that, I think, in debt. Yeah, money. it's not a lot. <clears throat> not considering the, that they can save eight, you know, eight, 10 million. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. I think that's a, that's a great signing. Um, I think they're hitting the, uh, the offseason out of the ballpark. I mean, just in general, all the signings, the way that they attack free agency, the way that they, uh, uh, worked the draft, even with the McDowell situation. I liked that. And now they're continuing to make moves throughout camp that I, I really like. The other uh, one that's a, a feel-good situation <clears throat> for the Seahawks is Kenny Easley's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Here's a guy that's that was awesome. a f- first-round draft pick in 1981. I had the pleasure of watching Kenny Easley play every single home game that he had in the kingdom. Um he was an amazing guy to watch, although I was too young. I was what was I was in my mid-teens back then, and uh, but was too young to fully appreciate at that time just how good Kenny Easley was. But I was uh, did play football, and I did appreciate uh, Kenny Easley uh, as a fan, and watched him play. And he was just an enforcer. You know, he was the, he was a he knew how to hit. He knew how to make plays on the ball, and he would disrupt so many passes. And interception wise, I mean, he's he's on par with uh, with Richard Sherman, basically in the same amount of time. Uh, I think Kenny Easley even has a couple more interceptions that, that Sherman had in the same amount of time. So he could he could intercept the ball. He could return kicks. He could hit people with with the force of Cam Chancellor. Um, he had the, the, the ability to run the field like an Earl Thomas. I mean, it was a great player and I'm happy so, that he's in the hall of fame as awesome. So for, for, for Seahawk fans who didn't get a pleasure to, of, of watching easily, imagine a guy with the speed and range of Earl Thomas as a free safety who destroyed receivers the way Cam Chancellor did, um, you know, a few years ago when, when before to he hit Davis and yeah, like it, cause that, that was Kenny easily. He there, honestly, I'm not sure I've seen a better safety play. Well, remember um, that hit that cam chancellor made in the uh, super bowl against Marius Thomas at the beginning of the game where he laid Demarius out on the, in the, uh, on the flank on the right, right side mm-hmm. And pushed him, literally shoved him back on, onto the ground like five yards deep. And Cam just stood up. You know, he didn't even, he, Cam didn't fall down. But Demarius just completely flew back. And this is a big guy. It totally set the tone for that entire, that's what Kenny Easley did. Like every oh, yeah, game. Absolutely. Every game. That was, that was Kenny Easley. Yeah. And so you, what you have is you have, I mean, he was a guy who, the reason why you don't know his name if you don't, um, and especially or people outside of Seattle aren't as like familiar with him, is because he had a really short career. He yeah, eighty-one played, to eighty-seven. Yeah, he only he only played seven years, um, 
And the reason for that was because of um, a kidney issue. So he um, was he play, he was really really good for a short time, and then it turned out that um, back in, in those days when guys were, you know, in pain and whatever, teams were just pumping them full of um, NSAIDs, so uh, ibuprofen and those kind of things. And if you take too much of it too often it can do some damage to your kidneys and he ended up with a kidney issue had to retire eventually had a transplant um and, and so he had this really short career but he was man he was one of the best players yep. in the history of the nfl but for a very short time yep and and so it was one of those situations where him getting into the hall of fame was never it was never about how good he was. It was about how long he played because when the hall of fame, I mean, you look at guys like Jerome Bettis is in the hall of fame. He was a slightly above average player who played like forever. And the hall of fame voters love those counting stats. Well, uh, easily was never going to do that because he only played for seven years. And so he, what he was is he's the opposite. He was the absolute dominating player but for a short period of time so it's good to see him get in and it took a a special committee that the hall of fame has of of uh ex-players and and others that go back in history and look at players that have kind of fallen through the cracks and so these are kind of uh older players and you'll see one or two uh on every induction that isn't kind of an older player an older coach um, that gets inducted that's been out of the league 20, 30 years or whatever. Kenny easily fell into that category. He was, he was nominated by that uh, committee and uh, approved by 80% of the, of the voting class, and uh, that's how he got in, and it's well-deserved. And, and part of the, the kidney thing, too, is he had a falling out with the team. I mean, he blamed the team for that. The team, he, he litigated that situation, and the, the team and, and Kenny settled, and, and he, he stayed away from the team for like 15 or 16 years without any contact whatsoever. Um, I understand that um, our owner, after he bought the team, decided that he wanted to get a hold of Kenny easily and to put him in the ring of honor. And so they reached out to Kenny. They bridged that divide a little bit. Kenny was more amicable to coming back and uh, being a part of the team at that point and was uh, inducted into the Ring of Honor in 2002. Um, Yeah, yeah. it really, it was one of those things where you had a new owner. um, The situ, you know, the the front office had been completely revamped not just like the the general manager front off but the business side of the exactly everyone and everything so everyone was new it was a sure the 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 name was the same it was the seahawks but as far as the individuals that um really wronged easily in seattle they were all gone and uh it was good timing on paul allen to reach out and say no we want you back in the fold we want you to celebrate your time here in seattle and uh it was I, i was real impressed with um, you know, with the fact that they were able to get him because it was it was an ugly situation for the team. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, so just being able to bridge that relationship and get it fixed, I thought was was impressive. I do too. I do too. The last item I had today is not so good, and I want your opinion on it because um, I think it's an important issue going forward for the team. Uh, 
Frank Clark was in an incident with uh, Jermaine Fetty again yesterday. And I say again because it's not the first time these two have kind of battled before. Uh, Fetty got into his face and Clark literally cold cocked him, punched him in the face without Fetty having a helmet on. And Fetty went down and Clark got kicked out and Fetty's, you know, stitched up or whatever it happened, you know, back in the in the locker room. And um, going forward, I, I, I really like Frank, Frank Clark and boy, do they need him this year. But at what point does the team um, sour on the relationship with Frank, Frank Clark? And quite frankly, also, um, you know, not going to leave a Fetty out of this too. A Fetty likes to push buttons. He's very good at it, usually with opposing teams, but in training camp, this is, you know, episode number however many with a Fetty where he's been involved in altercations or shoving matches and yelling and, and so forth. So he's able to like push buttons like nobody else on that offensive line. So, uh, well, this is, this is the fourth incident in training camp with Jermaine Fetty. He is in his second year. And this is the fourth fight he's gotten into. So everyone's like, everyone wants, is trying to turn this into a Frank Clark situation um, because of Frank Clark's past. And um, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to mention that, but yeah, Frank but, Clark but, does but, have a tendency to though, to be, get physical with people. He did last year as well. Remember in the game, he took Jaron mm-hmm. Reed to task. True. Um, but it's, People, everyone's trying to make this out as this is a, a Frank Clark issue. This is the fourth incident for Jermaine Fetty in two years. The fourth fight he's gotten into. And it's not like he's just, it's not just um, young players like Jerron Reed and, um, you know, and Frank Clark. It's not just guys that have a tendency to do that. Um, one of them was with Michael Bennett. So I think when when you look at this, it's, to me, when I when I saw this, it, it was um, wait. So we got a Fetty getting into it with teammates again, and then I went online and everyone's freaking out about Frank Clark, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I, th- I think you're getting this backwards as far as if you're gonna if you're gonna worry about a guy. To me, I'm worried about a Fetty getting into his teammates for the fourth time. Well, you never want year. a guy like Clark to punch anybody, but also I agree true. with you that a Fetty is you know is in the middle of a lot of these melees. And I think that needs to be equally addressed. Yep. I think they just need, they need to, they need to get the, you know, they need Michael Bennett to take Frank Clark under his wing and, and get him figured out. So he knows what it means to be a professional and you don't punch teammates if you're a professional. Yeah. Even a guy, um, even if a Fetty is an ass, it still doesn't, yeah. it still doesn't equal a knuckle into the side of a face. Yeah, and and you need Justin Britt to to get in, you know, Fetty's ear and fix him so that he's not getting in it with teammates and that kind of stuff. Because it's one thing. I mean, these guys are going at it in practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're battling and that kind of stuff. And and emotions get hot. There are fights in every team's training camp uh, every week. It just it happens. Right. Um, You just don't want the same guys going at it all the time because that's not healthy. Yep. I mean, we had Richard Sherman get into it, um, you know, back his first two years. So just to give you an idea, this kind of stuff happens. It's not that big of a deal, but at the same time, when it becomes a trend and it's the same guy getting into it over and over and over again, 
somebody and it needs to, in my view it needs to be another player it needs to be a leader needs to get a hold of that um you know that person and get them under control so uh justin Britt and uh, michael bennett go do your thing so let's talk now about uh training camp keith what have you seen that has uh sh- shown a light on the team that you really like so far so um, one of the things that I really like has been uh, watching the cornerback competition because uh, we all kind of went into this not having written off Jeremy Lane completely, but kind of being like, okay, can other guys step up and yeah. push him out of out of the well? We kind of penciled uh, him in as the third corner. Yeah, just, you know, right and, off the bat. Yeah, to pencil him in as the third corner, who's going to be the number two guy? Um, and if it's if the number two guy is um, not Shaq Griffin, can Shaq Griffin push Lane out of the number three spot? Right. And what has happened is that Jeremy Lane looks like um, 2015 Jeremy Lane so far, not 2016 Jeremy Lane. And so because last year he had a down year, but he I think, looks like I the think guy. Jeremy Lane coming back from that devastating injury really hurt him more mentally than physically even i mean yeah. physically he was decimated yep but mentally coming back from that and and putting yourself back out there in such a physical sport is a hard thing to do and i think jeremy lane really struggled with that last year yep um and so he was he's back out there and he looks he looks really good so far and granted you've only had um the one practice with pads or full pads um one practice with shells and a couple unpadded practices, but he looks quick. He looks strong. He's doing a lot of stuff very well. He looks like he is going to um, make it really hard for Shaq Griffin or anyone else to win that number two spot. And then the other part of that rotation is when they go to the nickel, which is most of the time, he's still sliding inside to the slot because they like him in there. And then it's, okay, who's going to win that that spot on the outside in those nickel situations. And right now, so far, Shaq Griffin is, is getting the nods, but you're seeing other guys get ne- reps like Nico Thorpe. starters. I think Nico Thorpe ne- is the guy that they, they really like, along with Griffin, to, to step up. Yep. It's, uh, Nico Thorpe's been getting a lot more uh, reps there than we kind of expected. The guy that um, who got a lot of them during the offseason and OTAs and those was Pierre Desir. He's kind of... He's dropped back behind Thorpe on the depth chart so far. He's more of the guy that comes in when Richard Sherman comes off the field. Yeah. Uh, so he's with the twos on that side. Uh, and so it it's an interesting thing to see that Thorpe having passed Desir, uh on that depth chart, or at least it appears to at this point if you look at the rotation. So, um, but it's still promising because you're looking at you're looking at a group which is you know you go with uh, Sherman Lane Griffin. Thorpe, and then you don't get to to Desir until the fifth guy. That's a really deep yeah. group of and, cornerbacks, and we're discounting a whole bunch of other guys that still have a chance too. Yeah, and there, so there's there's other guys, and you've got the um, the rookie and Mike Tyson, and that's out there. And so here, not you know, the rookies aren't and really, Elliot that that's you know that had looked a good last decent year. year last year, yeah. Yeah, so these are guys that are going to make a surge later in camp, as that you know. Um, it's a, it's a deep group. It's a good group. And having Jeremy Lane return to his 2014 and late 2015 form is a huge, 
huge development for Seattle secondary. Well, even with that said, though, Keith, I have to say with Jeremy Lane, uh, 2014, 2015, he was mostly uh, in the in the slot corner, the, the nickel corner for the team. And I have an issue with Jeremy Lane playing on the outside as the number two corner only because I think against really fast physical guys, and there are quite a few of those guys in the league, he is someone that gives quite a bit of a cushion and he's not as much of a press corner, I think as a number two guy that you would like to have. And I think that makes Lane susceptible to, to giving away big plays or, or passes underneath both of those. And so I'm, I'm a little concerned about the team moving in that direction. Um, but it's still early in camp and I still could be completely proven wrong. I mean, Lane could definitely step up and, and, and make those plays, but that is a concern of mine. Well, the Seahawks won games with Marcus Burley as the corner opposite um, Sherman back when um, Byron well, that's, Maxwell. That's was not there. a very. I don't. I don't like that comparison. I don't. I don't think that we should lower the level of our expectations to that point. No, I'm just saying that they're they're they are flexible in how they use that that cornerback opposite Sherman. They can they can win that spot in different ways well we could win Um, last year with the line that we had too but it doesn't make it ideal True, (laughs) (laughs) but i hear you though i mean jeremy lane is not a a burly there's no question about it. i think jeremy lane's definitely got the ability i just want to be able to see it actually happen it's one thing to go in camp and and know what the receivers are running recognizing routes and all that kind of stuff that the offense is trying to do and keeping up with our receivers, which quite frankly, most of them are not speedster guys. Most of those guys are route running kind of uh, receivers that are experts in cuts and positioning and recognizing uh, defensive schemes and so forth. So I want to see Jeremy Lane do it against the, the Fitzgeralds out there. You know, the, the other big wide receivers out there that he's going to have to face week in, week out. I'm not sure. That's a big question mark for me. If we went into the re- into the regular season with Jeremy Lane as our number two guy and Griffin moving on the inside or Griffin taking over the number two spot on, on you know, passing downs where Jeremy Lane moves into the nickel spot or whatever, that could be an issue, I think, moving forward. I know I could be completely wrong. I'm just saying that it could be something to watch. Well, you got to remember that you're going to have Lane in on, in the slot for about 70% of the snaps. Even if he is the number two guy, he's only going to be on the outside for 30% of the snaps. Um, so it, that also like mitigates some of the, the risk there for the Seahawks because he moves in to the slot, which is his natural position, for almost three quarters of the plays. So it's a, it's we'll see. Um I'm more concerned about having Griffin on the outside for 70% of the snaps because he's a rookie and, you know, we get to see rookie mistakes and that kind of stuff. I'd rather have a, a guy with a little bit more more playing time in there. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, the Seahawks are really good with defensive backs, both teaching them, evaluating them, everything. I'm really not that worried about the defensive backs because of – Chris Richard and Pete Carroll, and they are just really good at working with that position group. Well, one guy that's making me feel a little better about the defensive back group in general is Bradley McDougald. I guess he's having a really great camp. He's learning he He's learning the camp. scheme really well. He's all over the place. They feel comfortable using him in multiple different spots. 
uh, sounds like he's going to make a really nice impact and make make that defensive back group better. Yeah, it's um, it, this defensive back group is so deep. Um, we were already talking about how they're five five deep uh, at cornerback. You know, with guys that you could be comfortable starting. Um, and then look at safety. You've got you know the two the two uh, all pros, and then you've got McDougal who's flying around making plays all over the field. They're using him at free safety, yeah. at strong safety. They're using him as a slot corner. Um, he's all over the place. They got both the rookies that they um, they drafted this year that are both that both looked uh, promising. And, I guess know, they really like Tedrick Thompson. They really like him. Oh, Tedrick Thompson looks good out there. He. Um, He's really catching on to what the team wants to do, uh, really quick, and you know. So it's been a been a good, um, yeah. It's a good good look for the team. I mean, the the, the cornerbacks are deep, the safeties are deep too, and the linebackers are deep. Group. Well, they are now. Now that they've added right. a bunch of guys. Well, I understand sweet, too. But... Out of the trio of linebackers that they first signed this offseason, Garvin, Wilhoit, and Brown, Arthur Brown was gone. I, mm-hmm. I understand that Terrence Garvin has actually jumped Wilhoit um, in the depth chart, at least initially in camp, and is getting quite a few of the reps on the uh, Sam linebacker spot. They are because they were using Wilhoit um, in the center. They were they were trying to get him a lot of reps there, um, and but now that they've got Alexander uh, in camp. My guess is that Alexander takes over all those extra reps in the middle and they get um, Will Hoyt more, more reps on the outside. We'll see, though, because they've, now they've got um, well, we'll see because they Mike, may, Mike Morgan. They may not who, view DJ Alexander as being a guy that could come in that they can depend on as a, as a backup to Bobby Wagner. They might look mm-hmm. at him as more of that special teams ace um, yeah. and and have another guy in there as, as, as the backup. So I'm not sure you're right though. That's a good observation. We'll see how that, but, that goes but forward. You, yeah. You've got, um, the person who lost in all of this was Dewey McDonald. Um, he's a safety slash linebacker on the, the roster, but he is a special teams player only. Um, and now that Seahawks have, DJ Alexander, who's ready to take that spot because he can actually contribute as a defensive player and as a special teamer where McDonald couldn't. So that's going to hurt him. Um, and then all these other guys. So it's going to, it just, they just made it really, really hard for doing McDonald, uh, McDonald to make the roster. So we just spent quite a, quite a bit of time talking about defensive guys. My list of offensive guys that have stood out in camp is twice as long as my defensive guys. <laughs> so let's try to plow through it. Shall we? Can we talk about the offensive line here? For yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's a couple observations having, you know, gone through and, and watched camp here. Um, obviously Justin Britt's going to start. He's um, the leader of the team. He's kind of the captain of that group. So he's going to be there. The only other person, the only other spot we know who the starter is going to be is Jermaine Effetti at right tackle. He has been, he has taken every single rep with the ones through every practice so far. Um, All this talk of competition with Ethan Posick and um, that it hasn't materialized. It's been Effetti with the ones the entire time. Um, How do you feel about that, Keith? Have you heard good things out of camp from him, or have you heard questionable things out of camp from him? So what 
the problem is is that he is going to look really good in the run game. That's what he's going to do out there, especially when he's going to be that much bigger and stronger than the defensive end. But um, on pass rushing drills, he's getting he's getting beat. He's getting beat, and that's that was the reason why. If you go back and 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 on the outside was, on the outside edge this year, that's really important. Yeah, yeah. You go back and you look at all all the stuff I I wrote about him before he before the draft, at, during the draft, after the draft. He cannot keep up with the um the the speed rushers on the outside. He just doesn't have the lateral. And, and that quite frankly might be why we signed Marcel Reese back. Is yeah, to give him that. The other thing is I I I expect us to see a lot of, of um Nick Finette yes. parked sure. parked right next to him. Um just to give him help, you know, that little bump, that block uh to allow Effetti to get into position um, before releasing, I, I, we're going to see a lot of that in this season. Um, so I'm I'm not really excited about Effetti at right tackle, but I am acknowledging that he will be the starter there because of the fact that this is the way Tom Cable works. Look at the rotation, look at who's getting the the reps in camp, and they can talk up. Oh, it's an open competition. Everyone's right. getting an equal opportunity. But no, one player is getting all the reps with the ones. They're the guy who's going to get the start. This was how no matter no matter what was said in, um, you know, in all the press conferences, we knew that Drew Nowak was going to win that uh, center job two years ago because he was getting every single rep. And guess what? He got it. He was terrible, but he got the job exactly as it was easy to predict because of who because of how the rotation was going. Jermaine Fetty's going to be the right tackle. So um, out of the other positions, Keith, where you see Jokel and Fant kind of rotating a little bit at left tackle, Adiambo's in there rotating with Jokel at left guard when Fant's out there. Um, and uh, you've got kind of Glowinski and Abouche and then Posick's over there uh, with Fetty. I still don't rule out Posick this year. I think he's still learning, but I, I like his upside. I like his upside too, but I think his role as a rookie is going to be to be a swing lineman because he can play all five positions and they're really gearing him towards that. He's getting reps with the twos at tackle. He's getting reps with the threes at guard um, and at center. Um, He is, they're moving him around all over the place and they're not really putting him in a spot and saying, here, learn this position, win this job. They're more like, no, learn everything so we can use you everywhere. Uh, when, whenever we need you. And so that they're not pushing him to learn a spot and be ready to, to start week one. They're pushing him to learn everything so that he can be that backup guy. And I think, and then he'll, he'll grow into uh, a starting role next year. Well, let's talk about Glowinski and Abushi. Are What are we seeing there? And it, it looks like Abushi is going to emerge possibly as a starter. It, he's being given that chance. Glowinski's also been given that chance. They're rotating pretty much. Um, you know, one day one's with the ones, and the next day the other ones with the ones. It's kind of a two-man competition there. Um, Glowinski has spent time with the ones at left guard, um, but not. But that was just for one day. Um, the left guard situation, the left, the whole left side situation is is a little weird. But um, you know, Glowinski, they know he can pl- can play and start uh, at left guard. 
think right the right side is his more natural side so they want him to give him a chance there but he's got to beat out the veteran abushi who um knows the running game well because yes. they used the same zone system down in in houston where he played so it's it's a nice competition there um abushi's not being looked at on the left side so it really is um who's going to win the right guard job and if it's not glowinski does he win the left guard job so um it's an interesting situation there, but it so far it looks pretty open and both players have looked good. So before we talk about Fant and Jokel, let's talk about Odiambo and what role you see Odiambo playing um, as it relates to the health and the long-term health of Jokel this season. Well, uh, Jokel was ready for the day one of camp, which was huge. And he's been out there getting reps with the ones at both tackle and guard they're moving him inside and out letting him get reps at both um, as they figure this out when Jokel is on is outside at tackle uh, he's been out there for two days uh, with the ones one day Mark Lewinsky was at guard the other day Adiambo was at guard um, Adiambo has been getting some reps with the ones though not a lot at guard he's been getting reps with the threes usually at tackle um, on the left side, they kind of see him as a guy that can swing inside and out. Um, I really would kind of see him as kind of the backup inside out guy um, on the left side, whereas Posick's going to be the yeah. backup inside outside on the yeah. right. I could still um, see Odiambo and Posick getting a lot of playing time this year. I mean, I know that oh, they, yeah. I know they like to play a steady offensive line throughout the year. But, but I somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's and, probably going to get hurt. And, you know, there are points during the game where play, players take uh, a series off. And I think yeah. that's what I was kind of saying with Jokel. I think Jokel is one of those players this year that I think they're going to give him some time off occasionally during games mm-hmm. where I think Odiambo is going to have to come in. And I think, yeah. you know, I, Seahawks I, are, I want to see what he can do. Seahawks are up by some point in the fourth quarter. And... They go, you know what? We're going to pull Jokel and rest his knee and get Adiambo some more reps. Right. Um, if, if they're at guard or if it's a tackle, it'll be Fant that comes in. Um, so what do you think of Fant this year, Keith? It's hard to say. He looks like an offensive lineman. Um, he's got that bulk, that size. Uh, his technique is still, yeah. well, like a guy who's never played. But he's he actually has the strength now um, to to push a guy he to, to run block. And well, so, I heard his, uh, his movement is a lot better this year because he doesn't have to think as much. That's yeah. That. I, I, there's a little bit of that. I still see him, him hesitating and thinking. So, uh, but at the same time, you know, he, for me, his movement was always good. It's a matter of, he needs to, where does he put his hands? When does he, um, when does he push? When does he hold back and, and let the, defender uh, commit to a direction you know they're, they're just the little details are what he needs to work on um, and if you're wanting to watch that if you're at camp uh, go and, and you're watching the the offensive line group watch uh, Lemuel Jean-Pierre which is a name that should sound familiar because he was that backup center uh, for Seattle for a number of years he is now a coach with the team. He's out there coaching the offensive line. And I've seen him working a lot with, um, uh, Fant on how to use his hands, you know, when, 
when to reach up, when to reach down, you know, inside shoulder, outside shoulder on, on, on his hand usage. Just watching him teach has been a lot of fun. So um, if you're out there at camp, go, you know, look for that because it's been been kind of cool. And if, if Fant can pick some of that stuff up, some of those some of those little fine details that that Jean-Pierre was good at because he was never an athlete uh, that was going to make him a good uh, lineman. But he won with kind of with his smarts. Um, if he can impart some of that into Fant, man, it's going to be huge for the Seahawks and for Fant. So a few more players that are standing out uh, this year so far in camp. Uh, Procise is standing out. He's coming in healthy for the first time. He's making some big plays. He thinks of himself as a three-down uh, back. We'll see how he, he's used this year. I think it's just going to be too crowded for him this year to assume that sort of a role. Um, but uh, I'm excited to see what he can do if he can remain healthy. I mean, that's always going to be a question for him. Um, Chris Carson is a guy that we drafted in the seventh round. It's kind of an afterthought for most fans, uh, but Chris Carson's a big physical running back, the kind of back that they like to have, and he's making a big impression in camp. What are your thoughts? He's looked surprisingly good. Um, he's very He's quicker to the hole then he looked on his college tape a lot less hesitation he's just making good reads and getting upfield um so i i've liked what i've seen from him and in that exact same note um mike davis uh has looked solid too this is a deeper running back group than we thought and we knew going in it was going to be a yeah. deep running back group. it's probably as deep um, as we've ever had Oh, this is as deep a running back group as I've ever seen, um, because you you've got four guys from last year who all have, or three guys from last year, and then add Eddie Lacy who all have, um, you know, significant talent and experience. Um, Alex Collins, I know some fans soured on him because he came into camp a little out of shape last year and was slow to pick everything up, but looked really good at the end of the season. Yeah. He's looked very 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 good this year too. Yeah, he has. He's shown some some nice routes, some exceptional quickness uh, and the ability to get open um, in the passing game, some really nice soft hands. Uh, on top of just knowing the scheme and the offense, he's looked good. Um, and then the two guy, two new guys we've already talked about. I mean, this is a, this is a really good group. I've got six guys yeah. that on a normal year could, would could make the team, but they're not keeping six running backs. So, so especially not with with a fullback on the roster this year. Now uh, you're looking at, at probably keeping three, maybe a fourth. Now so, everyone knows Eddie Lacy's going to make this team. Yep. But I actually had him on my not um, not standout list um, because of the way that he practices. And if I, I've and I I stream the practice every day. I'm watching, and then the times that I've seen him run drills and so forth. It, <laughs> If I never, I never in my life when I played football ran a drill the way that he runs drills, which is almost half speed. So he yeah. does everything half speed. He kind of runs nonchalantly most of the time that I've seen him. Um, it hasn't shown any burst at all or excitement or like just Eddie Lacyness. Um, I'm I'm a little concerned that there's another Don't running we... back on the roster that's going to take his reps. I, I'm not concerned at all because he he's running half speed kind of on purpose and the coaches aren't getting on him about it, 
which tells me that they're trying to tell him don't kill our linebackers um, in practice and in, in, in these reps. So, um, and let's wait and see because when he gets out there in um, in the preseason games, you know, I think we'll see Eddie Lacy being Eddie Lacy. One thing to think about is go back and look at Marshawn Lynch in practice. Um, and when he took reps, which wasn't very often, he wasn't Marshawn Lynch. He was, you'd see him skipping at times. I mean, he's out there like he's, he's mentally going through the rep, but physically he's just taking. I know. Just, I know. I'm he, a po- football purist kind of guy that way though. I mean, I would never approach the game that way now, but I get it. I know these guys, you know, need to take care of their, you know, <laughs> their bodies and yep. uh, and everyone else and so forth, but it's aggravating because everyone else is working really hard. Yeah, I, I, it's part of it is that you know Eddie. What makes Eddie Lacy good isn't his quickness, his burst. It's um, you know getting around people. It's his physicality and being able to just run over people. And I really don't want him running over our linebackers rep after rep after rep during practice. So I'm more okay. Is he making the right read? Is he seeing what he needs to see um, from the blocking in front of him? Um, If he's doing those things and going through the right hole, I don't really care that he's, you know, pounding the ball in the way he will in a game. I just, uh, is he getting mentally out of it what he needs to get out of it for practice? So I had four more players I want to talk about somewhat quickly. Um, so we can wrap up <clears throat> Cyril Grayson and Amara uh, Darbo. Um, mm-hmm. Darbo, we picked up in the fourth round this year is kind of uh, just a promising guy. And when I, when you look at uh, training camp, uh, watch Darbo and look at him as a, as a, just a physical s- specimen. He is a big guy. Um, I, I was kind of surprised a little bit. He reminds me of Procise as far as how big he is. Um, and I think that bodes well for him uh, making the team and getting reps uh, during the season. And then a guy like uh, Cyril Grayson has stood out uh, to everybody who's been watching camp just for his speed, but he's also been able to catch the ball. Uh, while he hasn't done as well as I wanted him to do personally at uh, catching the ball as a kick returner, I think they're still working with him on that. Um, what are your thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, I was kind of disappointed with because um, I, when I looked at him, I'm like, if he's going to make the team, he's going to make it as a kick and punt returner. Right. And he just has not stepped into that role at all. He's got so much speed and talent, but I think he, this is a guy that needs to spend some time on the practice squad. I and, know, I um, know, Keith. He does. Yep. And so it's and it's disappointing, uh, but he's also a guy who's 176 pounds. Um, he needs to put on some football muscle too um, so that he's not, you know, so he, just, he doesn't look like a football player. All right. Yet. All right. So instead of talking about Grayson, let's talk about McKissick then because that's the guy that looks like he might t- be taking that kick returner spot. See, I don't think so. Because, really? Uh, no, because, okay, I've only uh, only really watched that part of practice on one day. Me too. And I watched, Me too. I, I watched him drop uh, like three kickoffs. Um, in that one practice. And so I'm like, uh, no, he's out. Uh, and in my, so my head, I, I wrote him off. He's like, he's not going to get that job. That's going to go to someone else. And I was hoping it was going to be Grayson. Cause I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to open the door. But then, yep. you know, Grayson struggled as well. So, uh, um, it's early. It's early. Yeah. I, 
the guy who is the guy who has been back there and done the reps and not had a problem has been Paul Richardson. Right. And I think I think we've I think we're going to go okay. into the season with him as our kick returner. So so I'm still sticking with Grayson, and I'll tell you why. Because Pete Carroll wants him to succeed. And if Pete Carroll grabs onto a player and wants him to succeed, he's going to give him every opportunity to put himself into that position. And I heard Pete Carroll say that. We want to see Grayson. We want to see what he can do when the games start. And so I still look for Cyril uh, uh, Grayson to step up. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. And he ends up on the practice squad. And I think he probably will make it to the practice squad. But that's a guy that, that I'm still eyeing to, to take that spot. I'm hoping that he can take that spot because I think the potential is there just to nail it. So, and I, yeah, and I don't he, think the, that the, there's talent, there's serious talent with that kid. Um, but he has to, he has to start making plays and become dependable Yeah, because it's not just Pete Carroll who makes that decision. And the special, that's true. Um, Brian Snyder, the special teams coordinator, um, he's not going to put up with a, a guy who can't catch the ball back there. So um, we'll see. I mean, once the preseason game starts, they'll, he'll, you'll, we'll see Grayson back there yeah. returning kicks. Well, you could um, be, you could be um, onto something with, with Richardson. I mean, that's the guy that also has the major potential to be able to do that. I'm a little concerned well, about his fragileness on kick returns because that's a brutal job, but it's obvious to me that returner the entire year during his rookie year. I know, but it's, it, yeah, you're right, but he can, he didn't survive, you know? Well, yeah, he hurt a knee in, in the playoffs, but, but it's, it's obvious was, to me though, that Tyler Lockett is not going to have that role this year. Yeah. Tyler Lockett's not even, not even out there. I mean, he's, right. he's present, but he's on, on the pup list and not practicing. And I don't see a lot of him working out on the side fields yet. Um, so he is still a ways out from getting activated and, and playing. So yeah, Lockett's not, at least at the beginning of the season, he will not be the, the kick and punt returner. It's just not going to happen. So two guys that remain on my standout list are two guys that are at the top of the list for me, Russell Wilson and Jimmy Graham. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Russell Wilson's having a great camp. And you can't discount that. I mean, nobody talks about Russell Wilson having a great camp, but he's having a great camp. And Jimmy Graham well, has, at the same has time. Has Wilson ever not had a great camp? Well, he, he, yeah, since the very beginning. You're right. He he has won he, the starting he, job, and he's never let it go. I mean, he's had yeah, a great he ever, great camp. Has he ever has he ever looked bad in training camp? And the answer is no, because he's a really really good player, um, and really good players stand out. Um, and his talent and what he does and his ability to put the ball on guys um, 40 yards downfield, 50 yards downfield, and just hit him in the hands um, is just impressive. And you get him out there where he has time because he's got a red no-contact jersey on, and so he's not, he doesn't have, yes. um, you know, the defensive ends trying to kill him. And he can sit back there with, with time as if he had a good offensive line and deliver the ball, man. He's just hitting... Um, Darbo and uh, Richardson and Grayson and those guys with the, all the, these deep ball after deep ball after deep ball. And it's like so pretty. Um, and you're like, wow, this guy, he is ready. He's, I mean, I would throw him out there. Let's go week one. Just put, start the games as far as Wilson. He's ready. I mean, he's his accuracy. 
on those deep balls this uh, so far in camp has just been phenomenal. And then you brought up uh, Jimmy Graham, and you're like, ah, oh, so this is what Jimmy Graham looks like healthy. Yeah. Because you got to remember that last year, he'd run a few routes with Wilson, you know, during kind of the, the warm-up period before they do the bag drill and everything, and, and look okay. But then when it came to team uh, things or any time, even in one-on-ones, you weren't, he wasn't out there. He was standing next to Wilson or the coaches um, and not participating. And this year, he's out there for everything. He's out there getting work. Uh, as a blocker um, in the running game there. They've got him out there, you know, coming off the line or out in the slot. He's doing everything, and he looked quick. And for a guy who's his size to look quick, that's just scary. And he's grabbing everything. Yeah, he's plucking everything out of the air that's anywhere near him. I mean, he looks like Jimmy Graham. He looks like unstoppable. I mean, I think at this point, you know, I I hope Wilson... Uh, develops the rapport with Jimmy Graham where he just can throw the ball up and have Jimmy grab it. Yeah. You know, I watched a play last year from uh, the the last game there with San Francisco. And um, there was one play where uh, Russell Wilson threw the ball like 40 yards up in the air, threw it up just for grabs at the goal line. And Jimmy Graham right in the just corner. blocked it. Yeah. Jimmy Graham just blocked this guy out like a power forward d- does for a rebound with his with his butt and his hips and then just went up and just grabbed the ball in front of the guy and like stepped down and fell out of bounds and it was just it looks so easy and i'm wondering why can't these guys just do that a little bit more often because i think the plays are there to be had and i think that the trust needs to come to be there i think wilson wants to avoid those type of plays because it's inherent to Pete Carroll's offense that you want to take care of the ball and all that kind of stuff. But Russell Wilson's got such a nice touch on his ball. I mean, he can hit a bucket from 60 yards, you know? Yeah. And he needs to, to, to try that, I think, this year a little bit more. Yeah. One of the things that is it's kind of frustrating um, as a fan um, is that Wilson takes what the defense gives him too much. I mean, you want to do that as a quarterback, but he does it a little too much and he allows the defense to take away Jimmy Graham and instead throws it to Jermaine Curse, who yeah, yeah. is is one one on one with their third or fourth best cornerback because the teams just don't they don't fear Jermaine Curse. And so he'll throw the ball into that one on one situation, which as a coach, it's what you're trained to do. You know, that's what you, you want out of your player. But I would rather throw to a covered yeah. Um, Jimmy Graham than I would right, a right. You know, well here's here's the difference. Here's the difference, Keith. So. Here's the difference. Russell Wilson is special. We're not talking like every other quarterback in the entire league. We're talking about a very handful of guys, Drew Brees type guys that can throw the ball like that. And when you got a yeah. weapon like Jimmy Graham, you got to take advantage of it. This is a mismatch in the NFL where mismatches don't come along very often, but when they do and you're not taking advantage of it, like it's criminal the amount of times that we were in the red zone and we did not get Jimmy Graham the ball. It's yeah. It, it has, the, that all, has all to of, change. All of those passes went to curse because uh, Wilson went to the guy that was in one-on-one coverage on the outside with no safety help. And so there was something like 44, um, red zone passes to curse last year and he caught one touchdown pass and it was at the end. Of oh, the that's just awful. It's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. And it's got to stop. Um, they, 
I, I get that it's it's what's coached and and all of that that it's you know take that take the matchup take that but no you know what they're they you know, they may be double covering Jimmy Graham but give him a, a split second to make a cut so that way it takes one of the uh one of the people covering him out of the play and then throw it up and let him go get it because there's nobody who's going to out jump a 68 uh Jimmy Graham and his vert so let him go get the ball he you know um and you just have to have to do that i would rather throw to a covered graham than an a semi open yeah. uh Jermaine curse yeah. so and Wilson needs to adapt to that. So yeah, there should there should be no year. reason that the team runs a corner fade in 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 the red zone, unless it's to Jimmy Graham. You know, well, it, part it, of it is that you, is that that's not what necessarily what's called by the by from the sideline is that happens because of what they see when they get out there, and you've got yeah yeah I know I get that one one on one, but that's still a, a pers- they, that's still a very is, low yeah. percentage play compared to throwing the ball up to Jimmy Graham double covered. Yeah, it is. And so it's, but it's, it is, it, again, it's, it's a, it's part of what the Seahawks do offensively and they, they take what the defense gives them. And when, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm giving him that, that corner fade to Jermaine curse all day long. You can have it. We'll give it to you. I'm not, we're, we're barely going to cover it because curse isn't going to go get it. So, that's um, that's my yeah. That's I don't know. That's it, a long-standing <laughs> right. frustration. No, absolutely. Uh, with Seattle's red zone offense. And and I think that hopefully we'll see a change this year. I mean, they've got yeah. the tools. They've got the best offensive tools that this team arguably has ever had. You take a look mm-hmm. at the the offensive line is coming together. You've got one of the best quarterbacks in the history of uh, the team, uh, and you've got. Uh, offensive weapons at skill positions like we've never had before. And if it doesn't happen this year for Russell Wilson um, and the offense to be just hyper efficient this year, uh, I don't know what it would take. Well, you you said the offensive line is coming together. We have to wait for that to actually happen before we, we um, begin actually uh, exploring that, that question. Cause We'll see what the offensive line looks like. I am still very worried, especially, I mean, Effetti is in pin as the right tackle, barring injury, and ha- watching him just get beat by any speed rusher that wants to go around the outside is making me very nervous. And you should be. But, you know, I'm, I'm an internal optimist. I think that it's going to come together. I'm hoping. I think that the re-signing is good for him. I think you're right. Vanette is going to come in a little bit and be on his butt cheek the entire uh, year. And we'll see. The, you know, the, the question remains, though, can Fant do it on the other side? I mean, that's the more important side, uh, the blind side. And, and well, so it'll be and interesting. If, if, he, if he can't, they've got Jokel. So I'm actually not as worried about there because they have the other option. If Fant doesn't develop and step up, they've got Jokel ready to go. Um, and, you know, Jokel's not an all-pro, but he is steady and he'll be fine. Um, so it, it I'm, I, I just have so many concerns and we'll see. I mean, it's hard, it's impossible to judge where they are as a unit in these practices because they, there's no cut blocks. Um, that's kind of the rule is 
even though in situations where I should be cut blocking here, you don't because you don't cut block your teammate. Um, and so there's no cut blocks in, in camp there. And so th- that hurts the running game. And it's just, it, it's, it's hard to judge what's really going on. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into the preseason. We'll see. And I'm, I will be eternally skeptical until it happens. Well, Russell Wilson did get lighter this year, not so that he could take hits better getting sacked. It's so he could outrun everyone coming around the edge, you know? Yep. And so, He's yeah, trying to get, so we'll see. trying to get that, that quickness back. Cause last year he, wanted he put on a little bit of weight to um so that he could take hits because he knew he was going to have to um but then he felt he lost some of his quickness right um which whatever he also had a high ankle sprain and a uh knee ligament tear and all of that so um it was hard and that that started week one so it's hard to say whether or not he right actually lost the any quickness based on the tape, but he says he thought he did. So instead he lost the weight, got his quickness back. And now we'll, we'll see. Just somebody protect him. Just protect <laughs> him. So are there anything else that you wanted to talk about observ- uh, observation wise for the first week of camp, or do you want to, uh, things that you're looking forward to for next week as we wrap up? Well, um, the only other thing I want to throw in is, is Blair Walsh has looked good on kickoffs. He's getting the ball super deep which was one of my concerns because that's one area where Hauschka was really good, was just kicking the ball out of the back of the end zone and not having to worry about returns. And Walsh seems to be doing that okay. Um, so there's at least that's at least one thing to worry about with Walsh that we don't have to worry about, I think. Um, and that's really it. I've been trying to watch the, the special teams as as we've been able to, but yeah. it's it's been hard to actually get um a good view of what's going on there so it is really hard uh, without is, being there it is really hard i mean the feed is great because without it there's nothing but uh the feed yeah. itself is lacking only because there's a lot of stationary uh camera work and they can't show uh a number of different um practice mm-hmm. scenarios because they don't want uh anybody else watching it either so you're really seeing yeah. a lot of vanilla stuff out out at uh, training camp if you're watching the feed but it's better than nothing. Yep. Um, and as far as what I'm looking forward to this next week, it's a lot of the same stuff we've talked about. I'm uh, that offensive line rotation and seeing how that works out. And if they start to settle in on a starting five before the first week of um, the preseason, because at some point they've got to make a call. And even if they, change the rotation up and put a different person in there yeah. um, for week two, they need, they need to get a starting five, a couple of practices in a row. Um, so they're ready, you know, they're ready to go uh, for that, for that first preseason game. And then the core, you know, the defensive, the cornerbacks and the secondary and how that's all going to work out. And the Sam linebacker spot, because yep. the linebacker competition has gotten so much more interesting over this last week with all these new faces. So those are kind of the three jobs that I'm really watching and, and really wanting to see how how it unfolds. I think one of the jobs I'm looking at too is the the backup uh, quarterback position because I understand that Boykin and um, Davis are not uh, exactly where the team would like to have their backups be as far as mm-hmm. uh, camp precision and um, just kind of taking the reins. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens out of that first um, preseason game because uh, the backups are going to get a lot of playing time in that game. 
and it'll uh, it'll be interesting to see if the the team elects to stay with what they've got or move in a different direction. And that would be the time that they would do it. Yeah, um, the one of the things that that's been interesting watching when the backups are out there is the accuracy and precision of Davis on the short passes is good, but he does not throw a good deep ball. Bless you. Whereas, mm, sorry, whereas Boykin's kind of the opposite. He has been, he's thrown a number of really nice deep balls to, um, to Cyril Grayson and uh, Darbo uh, down the sidelines, but he's missed some really easy stuff over the middle. And, um, you know, I think that it's, you're, you're, I mean, to expect a guy who's a backup quarterback to do everything Russell Wilson does is unreasonable, but it's, it comes down to, will one of them pick up the where, you know, pick up their weakness right, right. Um, and, and do better there? Or is, are they going to be putting the team in a situation where they have to pick? Do you pick the, the nice deep ball and the explosive plays, or do you pick the nice underneath um, short passes and the ability to be efficient and march the ball down the field with four or five yard gains. Right. Um, I still think they go with Boykin in that situation. I think he proved that he could do that last year. I think this is probably just a hiccup for him. And I think that he, he will come um, to, to, to be more accurate on those short throws throughout camp. I think that the, the, the long ball issue with Davis is always going to be there. And I, it's not going to go away. And I don't think that you can coach that um, or, or work that out. And the team needs that in a long-term backup situation, maybe not for one game, but they, they definitely need to be able to have that in their arsenal in order for their offense to work properly. It comes down to, it comes down to the running game because if the running game is working the way it's supposed to work, which means we, 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 we can see the, the running backs are there. If the offensive line does their job and the running game is really working, then you want that deep ball. You want that explosive play because you want to throw deep off play action and really stretch the defense, take advantage of um, you know safeties and, and corners cheating up to stop the run. Um, and you also want to go, okay, that's what, tell the team, this is what we're going to do. We're going to throw deep on you and keep those safeties back off the line, which makes the running game work better. Um, if the running game is not doing its thing, if it's like it did last year where it struggled and struggled and struggled, then you have to be able to open up the field, um, horizontally with short passing game. And so to me, it comes down to which of, as far as which style of quarterback they want, it's going to come down to what the running game's doing right now. Let's be optimistic and say the running game is going to work. And, um, throw the uh and say that boykin's probably going to win that job so with that said keith that's a wrap for this week uh we'll be back uh same time next week um and we'll uh not only review uh the week at training camp uh between now and then but we will also preview the san diego uh, game uh as we will uh, preview all games coming up for this season and um so that'll be great we'll be actually talking about uh, the games and, uh, and the, and the podcast after that will be kind of a, a game review and a preview of the next game. So we'll kind of get into it from there on. So, uh, thanks for Keith for, uh, joining us this week and anything else? I don't other than 
can we get rid of some of this heat and smoke? And I know. Have I looked at the forecast, dude. And it's supposed okay to, to be outside? like it's supposed to be mid nineties for the next ten days. I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's nuts. Gonna, yeah, it's uh, imagine being out there playing football or fighting or fighting that fire. You know, oh, well, yeah, there's some there's some hot jobs weird. out there. Being outside in general, doing jobs. I know that the house next to ours, uh, those guys were outside yesterday painting the house. So there's a paint crew there painting the house all day. They they were there before eight, but they didn't leave until like three or four in the afternoon. And by oh, then it was on brutal. 102 or whatever it was at at four o'clock. So yeah, yeah, enough of that. I I love the Northwest in the summer though because it's awesome. I wouldn't be anywhere else, but. When the when the temps are above ninety, I kind of wilt a little bit. I have to admit. Yeah, growing up in you know up in the the Seattle area, I am kind of a wuss when it comes to heat <laughs> because anything above about eighty five, and I'm just like, yeah, air conditioning sounds real nice. So, yep. um, and I spent five years in Arizona, and that heat, and it honestly made me worse. People are like, oh, you should it be heat adapted? I'm like, no, I'm air conditioned because <laughs> I just because I just said screw it way more often and stayed inside. So, um, yeah, we can we can get rid of the smoke, we can get rid of the heat. I'd be happy. But other than that, no, nothing else. Let's um, well, move on. Let's go watch some yeah. some practice. And yeah, go have some fun. So thanks for listening, everybody. It's the Hawks Playbook Podcast. You can find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I am at NWC Hawk. The show is at uh, Hawks Playbook, and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and uh, subscribe to the podcast on uh, Hawks uh, uh, Blog Talk Radio and iTunes and listen to it on the website at hawksplaybook.com, all that good stuff. So until next week, uh, enjoy the week and uh, take care, everybody, and we'll see you again. Hey Hawks fans, thanks for listening to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio and listen to all of our shows on hawksplaybook.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hawks Playbook. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.